This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Merry Christmas, everybody. Tim Priest with Tim O'Malley on Monday, December 23rd. We are talking the Camping World Bowl here today, a little bit of uh, offensive play calling and decision-making among Reese Taylor and Quinn, and a little bit of analysis that we did earlier this week. It's I think, we can Tim, we can start getting back to talking about Notre Dame versus Iowa State, whereas last week was a lot about Chip Long. But there's overlap there because it's certainly applicable to what Notre Dame's going to have to do against John Haycock, Haycock a really good defensive coordinator for Iowa State. We'll get into all that, but I, I thought it was interesting um, from Saturday, Tim. Uh, was that Saturday? It I'm was getting Saturday, my days yes. mixed up now. Um, in terms of Brian Kelly talking about the collaborative offense and the communication, and it had, it seemed to have everything to do with um, Chip Long not being there and a guy that probably didn't communicate really well. We know he didn't do. Um, a great job with that with the players along the way. And then certainly there's there's a little bit of friction as to some decision-making on the offensive side of the ball. As soon as I heard it, I thought back to our podcast where I mentioned, look, if, if Chip Long didn't want Jeff Quinn, that's fine because not, not a lot of people wanted Jeff Quinn. But once he's there, it is now your job absolutely, to be communicating with Jeff Quinn. And Brian Kelly is putting it out there that there was not enough communication. When he says the untrained eye isn't going to see what we have tweaked for this, that means no one is going to see it other than success or failure because what the tweak is is they have a clear line of communication now, which he believes will help them. And he mentioned early in the game, I found that interesting. It was obviously his choice of words was for a reason. I don't know what that well, they struggle is. Well, they frequently struggle out of the gate with the first he drive. He must be so. blaming some of that on the lack of game planning, collaborative game planning with Chip Long, Jeff Quinn. And I guess you throw Lance Taylor in there, but, you know, that's... I don't really think of an offensive coordinator having to listen too much to the running backs coach about when they're going to run no, the ball. But, so I don't really think yeah, of it that. Yeah, no, way. no doubt. But but look, you you want, you want harmony. You want harmony oh, so sure. you can, like, if there's something you need to correct in practice, you can address it head on instead of getting ticked off about it because right. I don't like this coach and I like don't like the way he's coaching his guys. That's ex- that's how I took the entire thing right. from Brian Kelly, and I don't think it has much to do with. We'll get into this later, but I don't think it has much to do with things we're going to see a different emphasis uh, in the running game. I think it might in some respects, but I, again, I, I mean, to the to the average eye, and I would we include ourselves yep. in that. I, I'm not sure that we're we're going to see a difference. So we'll talk more about that in segment two with with one of the questions, but. Um, as I got back, as we got away from the whole Chip Long thing, I got back more into Iowa State this week. I've done this every year. It's certainly not an exact science like most stories like this that I do are. They, I mean, it's not an exact science. If, but if I, it was, you would actually be the lead analyst for the New England Patriots, not the Notre Dame. So <laughs> exactly, this, this. exactly. But I think it's. I think when you're analyzing opponent, and since you have a whole year's worth of games to analyze, and we narrowed it down to ten games, we threw out. Yep. Uh, Northern Iowa and Louisiana Monroe for uh, as it pertained to Iowa State and then with Notre Dame Bowling Green in New Mexico. So we basically looked at 10 games. And you just analyze it. How well do you run the football against these opponents and what their average was mm-hmm. offensively and defensively throughout the season? And clearly, and this was something we didn't need to do the stats for, but clearly we knew that 
the strength versus strength was going to be Iowa State's passing game versus Notre Dame's passing defense. And the way I break it down is wins, losses, and ties. And you just use a general yeah. yardage figure that if they exceed that yardage figure that, that that opponent allowed on a regular basis, it's a win, loss, and tie within that middle range. And of those 10 games, Iowa State won its passing game aspect eight times and tied twice, whereas Notre Dame's pass defense won six of those games, um, one being in W-O-N in yeah. quotes, six of those games won one loss and three ties. Um, they throw it a ton, man. I mean, he, they threw, uh, they, uh, Brock Purdy threw for almost 4,000 yards. Notre Dame's pass defense has been outstanding for two years. I feel like a tie for Notre Dame's pass defense in this game is a win. I agree with that. And then the thing is you want to win against the rush defense has to then win, and then you win the game. Yeah, if you lose the rush defense, you never really have a great shot at winning it when you're Notre Dame. Football. True, and we do have a question about that. And we'll address that. But in talking about that, Notre Dame's run defense won six out of had six wins, three losses, and one tie. Iowa State's rush offense had two wins, four losses, and four ties. So, I mean, generally speaking, you want to slow down. In most cases, certainly, you want to slow down the opposing team's running game. But in terms of what Notre Dame needs to do, they need to keep Brees Hall in check. You know that Brock Purdy's going to get his yards. He's got a good group of receivers. Uh, but when it, you know, you're looking at the norm, the norm for Notre Dame is not giving up. You know, they, they could they could get, quote, beaten in the passing game according to against the norm rules, and it would still only be around 200 yards passing. I want to guess here. On the, is it Michigan, USC, and Louisville they lost to in the running game? Uh, I would assume, well, Michigan and USC. Let me – I can double-check Louisville's my, my guess. The other two are obvious, I think. But Michigan I bring up because they were overwhelmed at the point of attack, whereas USC – it they sounds so weird to say yeah. this, but the plan was to allow them to run the football. Uh, well, clearly Michigan. <laughs> yeah. They gave up yes, 303 yes. yards rushing. Louisville was the yeah. other one. Okay. Uh, and USC. That's a right. nice – if yeah. you look at it that way, it's can Iowa State overpower them at the point of attack? They should not be able to, although I do like their offensive line. I think their offensive line is a very cohesive group. Yeah. I don't want to throw out Louisville. I know Notre Dame has come so far, but it is a different feel. To, it's, it's You don't know exactly what you're going to no get doubt. because of the time to prepare. No doubt. Scott Satterfield, yeah. a completely different uh, approach. Uh, yeah. And then you, you USC, can... we have a question on that. It's, that's a valid question. Is it well, going to be that situation again where... I don't, I don't, don't, think, I don't so. think so. No, I, I, I don't so think so. I, I don't, you know, I don't... I mean, I don't think we're looking at an air raid offense. Right. And they don't uh, have talent. With, yeah, they don't, they've, I like their receivers. I like their tight end a lot. They actually have two. But, two, but <laughs> USC, uh, I think we can safely say USC out-recruited Iowa State at receiver. <laughs> well, at least all, in years yeah, past. Yeah, I'm not, not sure that that's they didn't this necessarily year. <laughs> true right now because USC is struggling so badly. But And then I guess the last thing I'd like to mention is that, you know, again, in this little statistical analysis, Nordings run game, uh, actually went five two and three. Of course, the two losses being Georgia yeah. and, and Michigan, but um, they Which held their one own. One you knew was coming. One you knew was coming. The Georgia they weren't going to run the ball yeah. well. Two you thought that they would and they could win the game. Well, that's I thought they could win the game because they'd have a little. I thought they'd have a tie yeah. against Michigan as right. opposed to an absolute outright knockout right. loss. You know, let's just realize something. We're in three years. We can't say, well, you know, USC has material anymore. That crutch is no, gone. it's so. it's it's definitely deteriorating. Uh, well, although we still yeah, we still said that going into this this uh, this year's game, but I, I I take it back. I have one more to mention, and it I you know the the Ian Book critics would say, well, I'm not surprised at that. But Notre Dame's passing game this year: three wins, five losses, two ties. I so, am surprised at the five. I mean, yeah, well, I mean, Actually, again, it's based upon yeah. 
the opponent and what their average was for the year. And so, the, I mean, there were times sense, yeah. those stats certainly show uh, Ian Book struggling a little bit more than us saying 33 touchdown passes and six interceptions, for example. I guess and there aren't many wins early in the year for Ian Book in that regard either. Right. So that right. you think of November, and that's he probably got he got three of his wins. I bet he got his three wins in November without looking. Uh, Stanford, Navy, Duke. Yes. Yes. There, see, that's yeah, all, and that's absolutely. fresh in our minds. So right. That's why. Absolutely. Uh, Tim, anything else from Saturday? I was not there. You were there. Any anything that you took away from Saturday's press conference? I thought it was weird that the first two questions were about Javon McKinley and John Jones, but then it became enlightening because Javon McKinley, uh, we assumed his Notre Dame career was over. <coughs> um, he is practicing to play. Brian Kelly couched it by saying, "Look, we're knocking off six weeks of rust." Right. Um, and I only bring that up right now because I've since then. Last night, received word from someone that knows McKinley that McKinley says he's coming back. Which we had received word prior to that that he definitely was not, not coming back. However, there has been a change in the Notre Dame coaching staff since then, which I believe could be relevant to this. I don't know if he's coming back because remember, we also have had players say guys have been named captain that weren't named captain. Because they don't know the rules about some of these things, and right. they don't know if they're all wanted back. No, yeah. I, I would assume they'd want Javon McKinley back because they're so young at wide receiver and unproven. And and actually, they're low on numbers because you're bringing in two, you're losing three, including Michael Young, and you voluntarily moved a fourth. So you're down two from what was smallish this year. You, you would lose another one to McKinley. Yes. I, it would be good if he comes back. Um, I'm not sure that he plays an ultra-prominent role, no, but, but it's certainly it would certainly be great to have him back. He plays an ultra-prominent role the week Kevin Austin rolls his ankle. You right. know, and that's no, the guy exactly. you want in there. And he's a guy it's, with size, and, you you know, um, Keys and yeah. Lindsey don't have a great size. And then the weirdest thing was that John Jones can enter the transfer portal and start on special teams. I just found that interesting, too. I think it's because you weren't going to announce that he was in the transfer portal. He was just getting in there to figure out his future. Right. You have, Notre Dame, yeah, you have leeway as the yeah. player to be in that portal. That doesn't mean you have left yet, but and if you're you think about declaring it, your intentions. Notre Dame knew he was leaving. John Jones knew he was leaving probably a month and a half ago, and right. he played hard for Notre Dame then. It's not going to change right. he's been a He's been a steady performer on special teams for three years, and, right? And then the awkwardness of it all was when I was doing the instant analysis and walked out and talked about John Jones and Javon McKinley was John Jones was standing right there. So, <laughs> but I, mean, I, said so, I said positive stuff about him. I did want to. I did want to point one thing out about McKinley and the change of the coordinator, and now deciding to come back. We've also heard that Miles Boykin would have come back last year. Which or, is or, I mean, than, I'm sorry, this year. Which is different than Javon McKinley. I'm just throwing that out. Yes, there. it's yeah. <laughs> it's quite a bit. It's quite a bit different. Now, you know, the flip side is that Chip Long deserves a lot of credit for yes, he does the development yeah. of Miles Boykin. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> right? So I guess there's there's two sides to that, but um eventually we will turn the page completely on this. But right now it's still a fresh topic and you, and we still are hearing well, stories about right. It's a super fresh topic because we don't yes. know how the offense is gonna play without look. No idea. We you I think you said <coughs> last week you're taking some points off of your final score for Notre Dame because they lost their offensive coordinator. You have to. You absolutely have to. I mean, it doesn't mean we're right, but you have to, logically, going into a game, you have to look at it that they will not. Especially going against a defensive coordinator that, um, Brian Kelly said 3-5-3, we've been calling a 3-3-5. There are some subtle nuances in there with with safety talent and where you align them. Uh, But Tom Reese making, we're presuming still at this point that, that Tommy Reese is the guy that's the play caller against John Haycock who's running a 3-5-3, who has done a really good job. I, you know, I, 
they've done a really good job of stopping the run, and they've done a really good job of of limiting teams passing the football. I think it's going to be a real challenge for a first-time play caller. And we have no reason to believe it would not be Reese in that role for this particular game. It just right. doesn't. I, I don't think Lance Taylor's calling plays for the game. Brian Kelly said, I am not calling plays for the game. And I don't think they're going to Jeff Quinn's not going to Jeff Quinn to call plays for the game either. Jeff Quinn was the offensive coordinator back then. He wasn't calling. Brian Kelly was calling plays. Yeah, and I have this on Dave Burke, who covered Brian Kelly and Jeff Quinn for three years, and there was only two human beings covering that team for three years. So he was like involved in sitting around while they're game planning. Right. Jeff Quinn helped make the game plan with Brian Kelly, and Brian Kelly called plays. Which is why I feel. I had a question about too many cooks in the kitchen in preparation for this. Jeff Quinn's the only of the three that has has been a coordinator. So under the circumstances, we always want this perfect scenario on both scenarios, and and they they can't be. There's too much change, right? It, it, right. You know, and so sometimes you have to make do. And of course, you involve Jeff Quinn in the planning stage of this. If you're a Notre Dame fan that's concerned about how Notre Dame's month has gone because of the loss of Chip Long, just remember that you're a Notre Dame fan that gets to watch guys like Khalid Kareem and Chase Claypool who have absolutely refused to consider sitting out of this game. That is what the plus of the bowl situation is for Notre Dame. Losing an offensive coordinator that 90% of the people listening wanted to lose, (laughs) you can't be that upset about it in December. Like, this is what happens to every non-playoff team in December. This is when all the change happens. Khalid Kareem, did you hear what he said about playing? I did. I thought that I was did. the best comment. If Mike McGlinchey and Quentin Nelson can play in a bowl game, I, I can play in a bowl game. That says it all, doesn't it? It sure does. I mean, it? and it speaks, I think, speaks a lot to pride in being a Notre Dame football player. I agree. And, I agree. And, and representing this program and having one last opportunity to put the Notre Dame uniform on. Yeah. As Notre Dame graduates, <laughs> we, love, we, and, we love it. And if you're a Notre Dame fan listening, they, they might not win the game. They might be disjointed at offense, but they're not going to come out flat because they didn't try. Right. That's also what you're looking for right. this time of year in yeah. the Camping World Bowl. Yep. Throw it in there. Segment two, burning up the boards, coming up. We are back with segment two, burning up the boards. Our first question from Way to Go K-Man. Who is the most underrated player from Notre Dame's signing class? And we have a couple thoughts on underrated. Yeah, there's a, a couple different levels here. I mean, when you consider that... Uh, Alexander Ehrensberger is the 2,352nd player for 24-7 sports. I think we can safely say that he is the most underrated player, unless you want to include uh, the long snapper. Yes. In that, uh, you should, for your starter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, looking, uh, we understand Ehrensberger's right there because he's from Germany, and, and a lot of people don't know about him. I think Jay Burnell is the guy that, that fits it perfectly. 840th composite, 786 by on 247 sports. I've got another one to throw out here who is rated a little bit higher, uh, but I, we both like Jay Burnell. I mean, I, I just if you just look at if you disregard one of the reasons why uh, you know a receiver would be ranked down over others, you know what I'm trying to say. Oh yeah, no, I'm with you. Uh, Jay Burnell is extremely quick and hard off the snap of the football. He puts pressure on the secondary. He wins. Way more than 50% of the 50-50 balls. He's extremely strong. He's made himself an incredibly strong player. I'm not saying he's going to be a great player, but there is absolutely no reason why that kid can't be a solid. If Chris Fink and many, many, many others before him can be you know, solid receivers for Notre Dame, he certainly can be. Yeah, I went with you on that. I had him 11th. Um, I think we all had Xavier Watts way higher than he's ranked. I had him, in number, I had him behind... <laughs> I had him at six behind Jordan Johnson. I know you had him ahead of Jordan Johnson. 
So you even had I them had them higher. Third. You had them third. So you, that is your most underrated in terms of the, True. the class. Um, of the four, I like Henderson because of positional versatility. So that I would was say a, that was in between. That's my that I, yeah. Okay, I have him a solid. He although he twenty four seven Sports had him rated two sixty six. That's he's a composite six forty, but the two sixty six. He's a top three hundred yeah. player. So that I guess if we're going by that, we right. think that was underrated. That but underrated in composite. Is Henderson and I have Henderson a full five people between Henderson and the next corner, next defensive back option in Bartleson. So I guess that answers that puts Henderson right, on my list. Right, right. Washington. Now that the early signing period is done, which signee has the highest ceiling, and which one has the lowest floor? I thought it was an interesting way to ask the question. I think he means highest floor. We'll do both, but uh, highest floor would be Michael Mayer. He cannot fall that far. Isn't if that what he, I said? You which said one? lowest floor because that makes sense. I said it wrong. Then. Yeah, but I think he meant highest floor, which he wrote, and I think Michael Mayer has the highest floor. That's because uh, I would I would agree with that. I would throw in a vote for Riley Mills as well. I think that that's cannot not be solid type of guy. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But I agree with you, Michael Mayer. The highest ceiling. I'm going with Tyree because of the the sheer speed if he's used okay. properly. <laughs> okay, I get that. I, I would say Tosh Baker because I think that oh, he has Trump all he has yeah, all the thing. tools yeah. to be a great left tackle. I haven't seen all those tools yeah. yet, which is why I rated him down a little bit lower. But I think that if he puts it all together, but I you know I agree with Tyree. I mean, Chris Tyree is a he's a spectacular football player. His vision and his elusiveness, and you know the kind of guy that he's making that next move while the defender is reacting to the previous yeah, one. I've said that before, and and that, and that's just that's a, a sign of a really really special football player. For for me, Tyree, the only question is don't get nicked up all the time where you can't play to your speed and can't get in the mix because just get him in the mix. No, true. Be. And he, you know, I mean, if you if you watch a lot of his high school film, you see him play. He will lower the pads and play physical football, so he's not shying away from anything. No, and that's the concern. Um, but also the, the blessing is he's not just an outside guy that's afraid of contact running away from him. Absolutely not. But like Braden Lindsay in his redshirt freshman season getting getting nicks and bumps and having to miss a couple games and getting hit way less than Chris Tyree will if Chris Tyree is involved in the mix. Right, but Braden Lindsay was less accustomed to taking the hits for like Chris sure, Tyree for sure, too. For sure. 618 Grace, who might be the 19th signee in 2020, high school or from the transfer portal? I assume that this question is asked based upon – I mean, did Brian Kelly say kind of something? Hint. He, he kind of hinted that, comments, yeah. And I, I know that Tom Loy, uh, there's a comment on our message board today regarding this, and I think if there was reference made to a 19th, it was probably Josh uh, Monheim uh, from California, offensive, I think he played tackle in high school, projected as an offensive guard. He was verbally, he's the highest, he was the highest verbally committed recruit to USC. Um he had visited Notre Dame, but then he signed with USC. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there's somebody beyond that right now uh, off the top of my head, I don't know who that is. But that that was, I think, the initial reference is to somebody that might come later in the process. I also don't want to throw a wet blanket on the <laughs> on the fun of it, but Henderson hadn't signed yet when he said we might get another one. So every once in a while he does that. That too. you know, hopefully he wasn't meaning. Yeah, that, no, but. that you're right. That may have been that may have been what his reference was. But I know there was talk out there about possibility of somebody else. And Monheim was a guy that was that was on the list and had visited Notre Dame, uh, but he went ahead and signed with USC. Drew Brennan, seventy-seven. Where does this Iowa State game rank on the 2019 schedule for a difficulty standpoint? 
behind Lonely, Michigan, Georgia, and USC. I like the question, uh, Drew Brennan, 77. I thought it was um, interesting to consider, and certainly Iowa State would be behind Michigan, Georgia, and USC. Uh, Virginia, I think I, I would put I would put Virginia. I would put Virginia ahead of them because, uh, well, they have a dynamic quarterback and they have a good defense too. Their defense was was really suffocating most of the year. When we talked a little to Khalid Kareem about uh, Iowa State, <coughs> he mentioned Purdy reminds him most of the Virginia quarterback. Oh, yeah. And Eichenberg mentioned in terms of where the blitzes are coming from. Now they're not as effective at getting home, but he mentioned, yeah, it was kind of like Virginia where you don't know where everything's coming from. So that would be the one from Eichenberg and Cleveland yeah. Cream. But. Yeah, I, w- I will say I- Iowa State is – they should have an extremely difficult time getting home with their blitzes on, on, on book. Because Virginia – Bronco Mendenhall, Bronco, Bronco Mendenhall, excuse me, has always been able to confuse. That is his calling yeah. card as a yeah. coach. He wasn't BYU, yeah. but so those. I think Virginia is a good um, maybe comparison. Uh, this is the third lowest point spread though, oh, because okay. USC was ten. Yeah, which is was off. Right. But, I mean, as it turns out, was a was a rough line because right. USC got so much better. But yeah, but Georgia was favored They're by a the, lot. Yeah, Iowa State and Virginia. I mean, those would be at the. At the head of the second group of most right. difficult opponents that, that Notre Dame faces. I'd rather face Iowa State than rematch USC. <laughs> so that's the best way to say it. I'd rather, right yeah, well, <laughs> I'd rather face Iowa State than rematch Virginia as well. Um, Those rematches are boring, yeah. especially against Virginia. Dover so, 96, <laughs> should we expect a few of Kelly's greatest hits for the bowl game? Maybe a few wide receiver slip screens or running back draw plays that we saw on a consistent basis prior to Chip Long's arrival? I think they're sticking with the offense and its structure. Um, it's a bowl game, so you're going to have some things. They've had – so their sixth practice was Saturday. Their seventh practice was Sunday. They're going to have three more. It's a game week now. Remember, we're in game week. So they're having a walkthrough – today's Monday, right? They're having a right. walkthrough right now before they leave, as we're recording this podcast, just a walkthrough. That counts as a practice. But then they're just doing three more practices. It's right. a game week. I don't, And I think the first four practices, at the very least, had yeah. nothing to do with Iowa I mean, you State. I mean, you want to run plays that you've been running yeah. all year and you're familiar with. Will there? I mean, but I think it's a good suggestion. Could sure, there be one sure. or two oh, aspects of I the offense he, that would yeah. be slipped in? Ab- absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the wide receiver screens, we used to see a lot more of that, certainly. I will um, go with the running back draw play because Eichenberg, just went a long talk with Eichenberg, if you can't tell right here on, on Saturday. He mentioned, I asked him the challenges as a lineman of facing drop eight because we only talk about Ian Book facing right, drop eight. Right. He mentioned not as much for him, he's a tackle, but the guards and center have to make sure it's a drop eight before they go do anything else. In other words, Interesting. he always is going to have someone coming. Right. Or should yeah, be coming. Right. If it's he's, a three man yeah, rush, he's going to be. He's got to engage. Right. He doesn't know if help's coming yet yeah. from his guard. But if you don't. If, so draw plays. If Iowa State is giving away on film that they are dropping early, that's when the draw play works. But True. Chip Long liked that too. He ran it against yeah. Louisville for. That's was the first long and, run of the year. And they will. Because they run a. Because they have a heavy personnel level on the second run, they can't afford. They can afford to spy. The quarterback, that's where it's going, to, it's going to be interesting to see what Ian Book's capable of doing. And I guess technically that would also include they could, quote, spy a delay to a running back as well. Yes. Yeah, that's... So... Um, I did like the question, but I wanted to point out that they didn't work... They didn't redo the whole offense because they honestly haven't had that no, much time you to don't, prepare you for don't have. State. That's why when in, in interviewing uh, Chuck Martin a couple weeks ago, he was 
downright giddy that they're playing on January 6th. He said, you know, most of our te- oh, yeah, most of the teams from the MAC are playing before Christmas. And you get you get no extra preparation time. And, and, and in this instance, as you're <laughs> I saying, think about that. That's true. there's really no ex- not any extra preparation time for Notre Dame. If you're playing on January 6th in the Lending Tree Bowl against Louisiana, uh, he's got all kind of he's got all kind of time. They can get well past the uh, finals and focus on that. Nobody cares that much about Chuck Martin, but just thought I'd throw that in. Uh, Irish boy one. How much will a new play caller affect Irish offensive success or lack thereof? Could be huge. I mean, it could be absolutely huge against a veteran defensive coordinator, John Haycock, that runs a, a different type of defense that is going to have, I mean, I don't care how much you prepare or how good of a job Tommy Reese does, um, Ian Book's going to look at some things that are going to confuse him. I'm actually surprised Brian Kelly isn't calling plays from the bowl game. He I is, think he would have said, I was I was expecting him to say, I have gotten beyond the point of my career where I'm calling plays. We will hire an offensive coordinator to call plays. But in this quick turnaround situation, I will probably call them for I, the bowl game. Maybe... You know, I think what would be in everybody's best interest is for that to be an open line of communication and say, Coach Reese, I don't think you want to run that. Yeah, I mean, or, that, or look, run here, Tommy. Look, you know, yeah, remember exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly. You know, exactly. You don't want to overdo that. And I, I and I have no idea how he's going to no, handle that. No, but I would, I would think he'd be involved in this more than any other ones that people. He should be. Yeah. That's, he, that's how I feel. He, he, he should need, be. You need to win a football game. You need to go. You need to go into the offseason eleven and two, and you need to do whatever you have to do to win. Which is why you're saying you thought he might. I thought he would just call step him. in yeah, and call. Step, maybe call he will though. Place. Maybe he will. But if he is, think of it this way though: if he has really pretty much already made up his mind that Tom Reese is going to be that guy moving forward, then he'd like him making those decisions against Iowa State in this bowl yeah. game, right? Yeah, because Clemson's coming to town right. too. Uh, ND ten twelve. Do you feel Coach Kelly's guidance to Quinn Reese and Taylor towards the running game changes the blocking scheme and lends to run between the tackles more instead of trying to run wide? No, I think it's all. I I, I hate to misspeak here, but I think it's all involved in game planning, finding a plan that the offensive line coach and offensive coordinators and head coach all agree upon. Not having friction in that game plan, not having friction in the preparation for the games, and when he said the untrained eye won't see it, I completely believe him. Changing a blocking scheme yeah, that's in this late. short amount of time, I don't see that happening. Uh, I mean, more, five more, practices that would be right. five practices. More stuff between the tackles. I think he kind of hinted at that. Uh, certainly, yeah, he but to be physical. You you want to run wide against this defense, although they're linebackers. You know, it's interesting. Phil Steele had them going into the pre, uh, preseason as the best linebacker core in the Big 12, which I thought was interesting. I don't see them as a real quick unit. They're good. I mean, they they you know they play downhill really, really well, but you absolutely want to try to do stuff wide against this defense. And this is probably from Captain Obvious, but four of, of the six losses under Long were in five of them the offense didn't play well. You have all-star Linebacking speed in Miami, Clemson, Georgia, Georgia. Yeah, I don't. I, I mean, I, I clearly think, that's harder to play right. against. No, I, th- than I slow think guys. I think this is a very solid, very well taught. I think everything about this program is well taught. I think it's a well taught linebacker core, but that doesn't mean that you can't expose them for right. what they lack. They're Iowa State recruits at linebacker. <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> Taking shots at well, Iowa State versus USC. I mean, I mean come on. <laughs> I guess it's different. CMU, Penn Span, what component of the Iowa State offense does Clark Lee have to focus on most in terms of shutting it down? Well, we know about their, their passing game is yeah. prolific, but you still need to contain Brees Hall, who is slippery. He's not very big. Uh, he's actually bigger than he looks, or he plays a little bit bigger than he looks. He will slide through some tackles. But when Iowa State has struggled, their running game has struggled. And so that still needs to be your same point of emphasis, especially since you have so much confidence in your pass rush in the back end of your defense. You let them do what they do uh, against a, it's It's a very good passing game. But you go into the game saying, we're going to stop the run and make them beat us at our strength. Yeah, they've done a great job when healthy. When Crawford's out there, they tackle well. They shut down a lot of yards after catch. I mean, they don't. They just they didn't lose games because teams were hitting it on them. And right. that's if Notre Dame ties in the passing game, pass defense against Iowa State, they're going to handle them the way I put them in the confidence pool you gave me to fill out. Was I the highest? I know it's a small confidence. Uh, I've turned that over to the to my son, the expert in the field. Uh, I pass that duty on to him. Yeah, you're beyond that in your coaching career. Right. <laughs> you're not calling plays with that every day. So <laughs> I had Notre Dame pretty high, though, in my confidence pool. What would you have? Like 34, 33? I think there might have been some female female participants <laughs> that had them 40, but just saying. I had Alabama higher. I guess just, just, just roll out, get, put them in their place. Kay Beasley <laughs> asked, does Clark Lee game plan Iowa State similar to USC, drop eight and allow them to run? Or does he prepare for a more balanced attack? We briefly touched on this. They, As much as you like the wide receivers, I mean, Tyler Vaughn's, Michael Pittman, and Amon Ross St. Brown are a different Those breed. are, they, to use Brian Kelly's term, game records. They would just win the game if you if, if you played them straight up like Utah tried to. And now Utah's a bad example because they got lit up by, yeah. by everybody saw it. But, I mean, that's, that's why Utah lost to USC. They thought, this is how we play. We're going to come play you. Credit Clark Lee for not doing that. I mean, I... I went on here and said he should have tweaked it too, but they don't have to do that against Iowa State. So if you don't have to, I don't think you do it. No, I, I don't. Yeah, you don't want to. I mean, the term play left-handed. You don't want to play left-handed unless you have to, and I don't think you have to. Now, USC's passing game was dominated by three guys. I would say Iowa State uses more receivers, so they go go a little bit deeper. Uh, you can't play the, them all, though. No, you can't. No, yeah, you can't. You can't play seven receivers at a time. Um yeah, and and I, I USC at some point, especially in the second half, they start throwing the ball to tight end, which they didn't normally do. Iowa State has a really good tight end and a very and a good one behind him, um, so they go a little bit deeper. But it's not it's not as dangerous as what we were talking about with USC. In other words, he won't overreact. That's I how don't, it kind of. I don't. Like. I mean, I I just yeah, I don't. The level of athlete that you're playing against, I think, it, I, I don't think that you need to react in that fashion. C. Norman, eighty-three. What are the biggest position group mismatches for the bowl game against Iowa State? I don't like Iowa State safeties. I think their safeties are, are vulnerable. I, I mentioned, you know, the, the linebacker speed. Although they're good football players, and they generally do a pretty good job of keeping it in front of them. But I think you can run wide against them. Um, Offensive line, I like. I really like the way Iowa State's offensive line plays as a unit. Uh, they're 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 pretty good pass protectors. So a, again, as a unit, so I think it'll be interesting to see what Notre Dame's off, uh, uh, pass rush does against them. Mine work in Congress with, I think, attacking the safeties, and <coughs> and also I think Notre Dame's pass protection is, as you mentioned earlier, can keep Iowa State at bay. There's, and that means Ian Book can have a 
There is no way that Iowa State's pass rush, I don't care what level they're coming from, should have a big day against Notre Dame. Their, their sack total is like 27, which is three below Notre Dame, but I think the disparity is greater than that. Denver Maximus, how important is this bowl game in the practices for someone like Houston Griffith, a highly regarded recruit, but little or no movement on the depth chart after a few position changes and a few years in the program? Any other players in need of making some noise for next year? I don't know how much of a ch- I, I hate to keep bringing this up, but I don't know how much of a chance they got. It would have to be practices one through five, with one of them during finals week that wasn't a full practice. Because with Houston Griffith and the backups are not starting on Saturday, they were Iowa State-centric game planning. They were, it's just a regular game week. None of these guys are getting... Now, they probably got all the time they needed in practices one through four because you didn't do... You did nothing with the likes of Gilman and Kareem but, but, but that probably wasn't... That wasn't game planning. That was just no. getting those guys out there and getting them run around and seeing what they could show. Right. Um, yeah, that was just kind of gaining confidence for Griffin in his new spot, getting more reps. He, I guess he gets intense reps with Terry Joseph at safety that he wouldn't normally be getting because he shut down Gilman and Elliott. But that, I don't think this was a year for that. Um, I know people aren't going to like that because basically there aren't four practices. They just gave away, you know, gave away four, if not six, four practices that will never happen in two walkthroughs, um, or one light, one walkthrough and one light one. So Houston Griffin's at the top of my list of healthy guys that, needs to make a jump through the spring, but I think it starts more in off-season yeah, I, training. I, I, I think that, that that line of thinking is a little overrated, especially when you're playing on the 28th. Maybe if you're playing the 30th and you have a little bit more time, but they're so bent on getting the 11th win and trying to get this right with the offensive staff and a little bit of disarray. I I just I just don't think that that... They've played a lot. They've played as many guys as, as they're going to play, and an 11th win to them at this point... With guys like Claypool and Kareem saying we're playing, you know, we we want to represent yeah. Notre Dame. I don't think they're going to do anything to compromise that. And I'm not sure that there's, I'm just not sure that there's enough time for for a guy to. I mean, like, even if a guy makes a little bit of a breakthrough this week, he still has to prove it all over again in the spring and in, and in August. Well, remember the whole thing. We're going to be unleashing a weapon a little bit against Clemson, and we surmised it was Lawrence Keys, and did he get a get a snap? Yeah, I mean, there's, right. <laughs> it's just not. It's it's very difficult to project those things unless you get some real significant intel that says we are definitely doing this. But bringing up Houston Griffith, that's the guy we'll be talking about. I think a lot, good or bad, in the spring, and I hope really highly of. I want to hear from back channels that Houston Griffith had a great winter conditioning. Right. That sometimes that leads into right. Jim underscore Booney underscore C R S. Excluding the offensive coordinator, who else do you expect to be replaced on the current coaching staff? We've been assuming that Todd Light would move to be with his family. Yeah. I, and he, you know, we don't have cornerback coaching prospects to replace him yet. Um we're not positive that that's actually going to happen. No, I think no. I think that it can. Uh I wouldn't He popped up in some recruiting visit photos too. Right. And I wouldn't which we hadn't heard earlier and then all of a sudden it doesn't make sense he wasn't part of the recruiting process of the other guys. So I think, yeah, I think people are doubling down on this where it's just, it's more of a logical thing. Because of family. Because of family. And a, not a great recruiting yeah. effort. Although Brian Pulley refused that it's not a good recruiting effort because of how much they drilled down on these guys. That's in Monday Musings, by the way. That was, yes, yeah. but that was, as you know, still forced. That was out of necessity that right. they drilled down on a bunch of three-star guys. We do not expect 
well, I won't speak for you, but now well, I in no way expect Jeff Quinn to not be on the staff next year. All right, well, let's go to the next question yeah. since it's from Looking for okay. Friends, and it's are Tommy Reese and Lance Taylor the only two internal candidates for the vacant OC role, or would Kelly reverse course and revert back to another old assistant, meaning Jeff Quinn? I mean, I could see Jeff Quinn be involved in game planning, but he's not going to be involved in play calling if that's what worries people. Jeff, but, Qu- Jeff he's not – I mean, I, I, I agree with yeah. what you're saying – He's not going to be the offensive coordinator. I don't think he's in, in a, a consideration for that. It's Reese and Taylor w- with Reese having the advantage. Here's what I think. No matter who they hire, Quinn, Reese, Taylor, or outside, everyone listening is going to hate that guy at least twice next year. <laughs> at least. At least. Twice. I think, yeah, because they can win the game and still hate the offensive coordinator. So if it's Quinn, you're going to really hate him because you already do. And if it's Reese, <laughs> you're going to hate him because he used to throw interceptions as a senior. And you like Taylor more because you don't know anything about him, but then once they don't run the ball against Michigan, you're going to be, what's wrong with our running game? How come our offensive coordinator stinks? And if you bring in the new guy, they're going to want Reese. Right. Maybe, <laughs> maybe Lance Taylor should just focus on his running backs. Yes, exactly. So you're not going to like him in early November when Brent Venables is coordinating against him. That's just now, what I'm thinking. We both agree that, well, no, you answer, and I won't answer for you, but I mean, he should give a long look outside the program and I, give serious consideration to the best. There are a lot of real quality offensive coordinators out there that would crawl to yes. Notre Dame. I wrote in my column last week, the most important <coughs> thing he does for this offensive coordinator thing is search outside the program. I'm not saying that you have to do it. You have to not hire Reese. But you have to search like you did. When you brought in Mike Sanford and said, we needed someone to turn the room upside down, you brought in Chip Long and you were like, you know, he he sees the game through my eyes. I want someone to be similar to Long in that that two tight end focus, the running game centric thing, and then just be do better against better teams. But that what are the complaints against Long? Is that he, you know Georgia, Georgia, Miami, those are the two, Clemson, Michigan. Those are the five complaints because the Stanford game had nothing to do with Long for the leather loss. But Chip Long brought back the two tight end offense and brought back more running. I, and he modernized it with the RPOs that they don't seem to run like as well as the other teams do. But don't you want that still? Something well, like I do. Chip Long? I, I do, and I think that that's what Notre Dame needs and should have. Um, I thought it was interesting Saturday that Brian Kelly talked about, you know, we want to be better in the run game. <laughs> okay, uh, great, Coach. We want you to be better for like seven years in the run game. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, no, I, from the, this is what I meant by that. That is, does that mean that he will continue to try to emphasize the game to the level that that Chip Long did? I still find that hard to believe that that's, he will. I just want the coordinator. That's that not do his that. DNA. No. Well, now I want Lance Taylor so he's going to ball to his players all the time. No, I just want a coordinator that will emphasize the running game at Notre Dame, and especially if Cole commits there. The two tight end package is the staple. Of next season's yeah, offense. it should be. It, it should be. They scored 10 touchdowns this year, the tight ends. It's a program record. The offensive coordinator you all hate put a program record for tight ends out there. The position everyone well, loves. And a Brian Kelly record for scoring in a single season. And look, they've always played. There's always a tomato can or two there. Yeah. They, well, yeah, and they lost New the Mexico two this year. Bowl, the... Yeah, New Mexico and Bowling Green. And you, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. You, I mean, you hammered them. So those count too, and they counted in previous years, and it was the highest scoring offense and. In the 10 years of Brian Kelly. Psycho 3848, do you think (coughs) Komet's decision to stay or go would be in part driven by the disparity in income between Samarja and Rudolph? That is $102 million to $40 million for Kyle Rudolph. I I think that Cole Komet's a smart guy, and I think he would take that into consideration. I also think, and I know in the case of Jeff Samarja, 
who was a spectacular receiver and would have been a would have been a fine NFL receiver yeah. as well. But he was looking for quality of life as well, knowing full well that let's see the quality of life of a baseball player, even though you're playing 162 games, and that's that's got a, that's rough in its own way. In a different uh, way. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like in travel and being away, way, yeah. you know, being away more than you would for for football. Um, yeah, certainly. Now, is Cole Komet as strong of a baseball prospect as Jeff Samarja? I don't think so. He's closer to Kyle Rudolph as a prospect than he is Jeff Samarja, for sure. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean certainly positionally. Yeah. So, I mean, I think all those things come into play. There's more money to be made in baseball, but you have to be really, really good. And Jeff Samarja who hasn't been a great Major League Baseball pitcher, is still pitching. He made the right choice. Well, he did. And he's, he, you know, and we don't know that Komet is a starting pitcher on the next level, whereas Samarja became one and, as I said, still is. My I, my big takeaway from that is I just hope Cole Komet stays. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to somebody that's, show him that. Someone send him these figures. Well, and I'm going say to say that to him on Christmas. $102 million, Cole. Baseball. Try it out. Stay here another year and just see if he does it. Well, he could. <clears throat> I mean, he could play baseball in the spring and then get drafted and then still leave before the fall. I don't want that. Though. I don't That's want. Not, no, we don't, we don't want that at all. Michael Martin, seventy-eight. Would you hire Martin Ingles? We're mixing the basketball yeah. question. Yeah, but this is one people want to hear. Yeah. So. Uh, would you hire Martin Inglesby as Notre Dame's next basketball coach? Would you offer him the job in March of twenty twenty? No, to the latter. Um, Inglesby, yeah, this is a uh, it's an interesting development because do you want it? It'll main it'll kind of keep the system in place of what a Notre Dame really needs to operate under. Mike Bray's system is successful offensively until they run into much better players. Um, but would you would hope in theory offer a recruiting bump in terms of young effort and uh, knowing that the reason Mike Bray went to a couple of lead eights is because he had all his best players that he's ever had on that right. team. Well, first, uh, yeah, I, you know, I mean, Martin Inglesby is not the kind of guy that uh, is overly demonstrative that if you look at him on the sideline, you're going to say, well, that's a guy that's really going to inspire this program to go to greater heights. He is the son of a basketball coach, and I think he's an extremely uh, quality basketball mind. For the yeah, record, yeah. for the record, at Delaware, he's been 13 and 20, 14 and 19. Uh, seventeen and sixteen, and right now he is ten and three. And the latter is why you get the question. The latter is why we get the question. They lost to Villanova by eight recently. They lost to George Washington by ten. They've had, they're ten and three, but they've lost three of their last four. They lost to Long Island University recently, so they're struggling a little bit. But in conference play, which is the CAA, they've gone from five and thirteen to six and twelve to eight and ten. And they haven't started their conference play yet this season. Like the offensive coordinator, I would have a national coaching search when Mike Bray is no longer absolutely, coach. A- absolutely. I there's no reason why you shouldn't consider Martin Inglesby, right? As long as you're open minded about the other very good to great established coaches at a ton of mid majors that again would love to come to Notre Dame. Bob for ND three chance that Ian Book returns for a fifth chance that an OL change is coming. Any chance Bo Bauer sees more field time next year is an every down line. Okay, putting a percentage on Ian Book's return, I would say ninety. I was going to say eighty. Okay, somewhere up there, very high. It's close to the Mayo, nowhere else to go type thing, and he's not grad transferring now. 
that knocks out the grad transfer aspect of things. Why in the world would you grad transfer now? There's so no that's reason. Gone. That, right. That, that limited that limited percentage is now gone. Chance of an O line change coming, meaning I assume the O line coach. I would put a maximum of, I would put a maximum of twenty percent on it. I think it's a more likely book leaves than there's an O line change now. <laughs> I think the O line change has happened. The, the offensive coordinator. That's the change. Yeah, it's, well, I said maximum yeah, 20, maximum, so yeah. I would choose something lower than that. I, I think there's a better chance of <laughs> going pro than changing the O-line coach now. Otherwise, I don't, I don't think they would have pulled the trigger on Long completely that fast. True. And then the third question, Bo Bauer, seeing more time as the, quote, every down linebacker. The problem with that is that Drew White's a Mike linebacker. I'm sure they don't want him to play Buck. Right, that's the problem. And they don't want Bo Bauer to play Buck. So there is the problem. White's not going to get unseated. Uh, more time, though, is different now that I think about it. I mean, he could yeah. give him a you know a couple series, a series of the first, series no, of the second. No, it would be great. And you, when you <laughs> you watch him play special teams, right. and you certainly think, um, I mean, you got to love the kid savvy. He's incredible. He can clearly play football. I uh, talked to Bo Bauer Stanford week. Wrote a story about it. It was special teams focused, but we did talk to him about struggles uh, trying to make, take the next step. He's very diplomatic about it. He goes, look, we all had a chance in the spring. I ended up having some really good players in front of me that did a great job all year. He met Bilal and White. I'm sure they had to cross-train everybody. Yeah. They, were, they were doing everything. They were just throwing stuff at the wall early spring. Um, he's just not as good as Drew White, I don't think, at middle linebacker. And Drew White had a heck of a year. Like He was a top 10 Notre Dame player this year, Drew White. He was in our oh, list. had him on our list in yeah, the top 10. I, mean, I don't think anybody's going to have him below 12. Interesting that the only player that people really argued in our top 50, well, it ended up being number three, was Ian Book. That's, right? That's Did anybody happen. else like vehemently argue anybody other than Ian, Ian Book? I don't think so. They didn't like somebody like a quarter on the top 20, but he was. if you break it down, he was still top 20, actually. Uh, we all like Bo Bauer. I think what would be great for Bauer and White is if those series come into play. You know how they happened in Louisville and New Mexico? If it happens all year, you can take some some of the load off Drew White, and Bo Bauer brings a spark. If oh, I should go back. Bo Bauer was saying struggling with pass coverage is the number one problem. Yeah. He he was totally open about it. I will I'll get that on the message board so people can actually see the quote what he said about learning pass coverage and everything like that. But so what everybody kind of guessed is indeed a thing that's been holding him back from scrimmage. Right. Judge Arthur Vandalay, if Ian Book, Cole Kmet, and Alohi Gilman all decide to return to Notre Dame in twenty twenty, how realistic? Is it to expect Nordane to make a serious run to playoffs in 2020? I expect Book back and Gilman not. And I think that Gilman is a 10% to come back for me, right? He's just yeah, basically I, announced I want to go off my life. Yeah. I, He's going to get I, the return to school I, grade, though. I asked him if he was ready. Do you feel you're ready for the NFL? And he, I mean, if it, I mean, he spoke honestly, which meant that he tipped his hand. I absolutely think I'm ready for the NFL. Yeah. So why would he come back? I do not believe he'll be back. But book and commit, I think it allows Notre Dame to make a serious run at the playoffs. Well, if you can beat Wisconsin, Clemson, and USC. Well, you make the run if you beat Wisconsin, because Clemson and USC come at the end, and you're right. ranked number okay, three. Okay, right, exactly. Right? I, I, I do think that those the middle pack teams that they're going to face are going to be more difficult than this past year, because I, Wake Forest is a handful offensively. Stanford will be better. You have to travel to Pittsburgh. Duke is Duke. I know Notre Dame hammered them. You know how I feel about David Cutcliffe. And Louisville definitely will be trending up with Scott Satterfield. Yeah, there's 
there's also an extra, there's more road thrown in, there's more travel thrown in. There's more chance of a stub toe that yeah. wasn't materializing this year. Uh, Virginia Tech was the only close one. But the whole idea, really? if you if you have Comet and if you have Book and Comet coming back, because we really like with Kevin everything, Austin from what we've heard. Too. Yeah, with Kevin Austin, we think he's going to step forward with Lindsey's development with with a lot of guys with, with uh, Gufo and and what he's shown a little bit. I mean, you can go across the Crawford's board. helping out with coming Absolutely. back in corner it most should, likely. Yeah. Is Notre Dame in a position to make a serious run at the playoffs? Absolutely. Yeah, that's the key. Is that can he just be? Can you be number two or three when you play? Cle- can you be number two or five when you play Clemson? And can you have a great game against Clemson, beat them, or lose a game by one point? And then you're eleven to one. Your losses to Clemson. That's the ultimate test of can Notre Dame get in with a loss? Because if you are in the top five and you play Clemson to the absolute wire, obviously if you win, you're going to be number one. So let's say you lose, and then you go beat uh, number fifteen USC. Yeah, the notion that you know Notre Dame has to go undefeated in order to make the playoffs. I mean, it's just that in certain years, yes, that's true. But, but that's the case for Clemson, everybody. Not if you have Clemson on your schedule. Right. Exactly. What, if it's, what if it's 37-0 and 0 Clemson right. and you take it to the final gun and that's right. your only loss? I yeah. mean, I keep saying final loss, only just, loss, because if they win, they're going to Right, but you just it. can't put a number on it. There's so many variables involved, and we see it every year, that it just it depends. Final question from Vito Spada for ND, timely considering the bowl, which was the Gator Bowl. Are you a trailer or <laughs> tent kind of guy? Do you camp? Do you guys camp? Not much. No. Okay. Uh, we're campers, um, but not enough to buy a trailer. <laughs> well, they're, they're not cost the same as a tent, though, either, right? No, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. No, I, lo- I love camping. Oh, that could be where the question I love. I love camping. I, I'm, I'm, we're all in the tent. We, I have all the uh, – we have everything that goes with it, everything that you need. Uh but I need electricity and I need a shower and a bathroom because I'm not roughing it that badly. Yeah, I'm not a fan of sleeping in that condition. So the last time I was in an RV, we rented one for Nebraska 2001. There were 10 of us of my age sleeping in an RV in the tailgate lot in Lincoln. Not the most comfortable situation I've ever been in my entire life. No, no. <laughs> I was sleeping above the, yeah. you know, the, the spot above the... The driver's area where they have the little roof yeah, thing up there. Yeah, so you gotta have you gotta have the blow up no, mattress. We need man. it. Yeah, gotta, there was a lot going that. on, man. And then the tailgate, of course, we got in at four in the morning from a night out, and then all the tailgate lots, people start coming in at six in the morning. So that's also not awesome. There was still I should throw in just because of this. Liam Eikenberg was asked if he camps. Yeah. Which was an annoying train yes. of questions going yes. through. But he had a funny answer. He said that yes, he does. Trevor Ruland would be the best camper. And I just took that to mean because of the mountain man look. And then Colin Grunhard would be the worst because he has short arms and couldn't forage for things. <laughs> I assume it was just a great shot at his uh, it French. So, it sounds like Eichenberg was, when, they, when he heard the Camping World Bowl, he just couldn't wait to say yes. that. So best answer of Saturday. Yeah, and I, uh, a thumbs up on, uh, uh, on the, the tent camping here for myself. All right, we're going to end, we're gonna end with that. And our, and our plan is to have a podcast from Orlando on Thursday or Friday. And hopefully not twice, because that means something happened. Yeah, yeah. we just just wanted to preview the game. Uh, normally we do it two days before kickoff, but it could come on Friday. Uh, we're just going to see how that works out. There's some logistics that we never are quite sure how it all works out. I might be on a bus from Tulsa again. Uh, let's hope not. For your sake, I'm hoping. Thanks for joining us. Everybody, please have a safe and Merry Christmas. We appreciate you being a subscriber and or listening to Irish Illustrated Insider. God bless. Indiana Dunes Tourism, located between Chicago and South Bend in Northwest Indiana, is a proud supporter of Irish Illustrated. 
Extend your Notre Dame visit with a trip to the nation's newest national park. Visit indianadunes.com.